Oh, sticks the landing. Well mm. done. Sticks mm. the landing on mm. the intro today. This is uh, your host and apparently master tech, Saren. Uh, <laughs> no, that's like the first time ever I didn't script the intro. I'm just so thrilled. Um, uh, regular listeners will know that I'm in school, and so I'm just going to front right now. I have no idea what we're talking about today. Uh, the only thing I do know um, is that, Dave, is you've uh, titillated my interest uh, mm. because I, I saw the word urine in our yeah. first story title. So with a brief and momentary in, uh, pause before we get to that, Dave, you're going to start us off with urine. Something about that. Fascinating. Right. The brief interruption I will ask you for uh, is some housekeeping before we do that, as you may have just been listening, if you're listening live here at CIUT, uh, is that we have our formal membership drive coming up. That starts Monday, November the 12th through the 18th. I believe that puts us on the 16th for the live show here as well. So as Ken was just saying, please start uh, collecting those uh, quarters uh, maybe collect them in a sock you know um, collect the, I feel like in collecting quarters you're going to do a lot of collecting maybe collect higher bills you right. know collect fives <laughs> we'll You'll start low and build up right Right. It's like our, our vegan uh, diet <laughs> thing. you know don't bite it off all at once right you know, right just, just piece phase by piece. it in right phase there you go Right. You, you have you have eight days to come up with a million dollars, one quarter at a time. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that we are broadcast uh, not only live here at CIUT, but also on our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners across the country. You can also find us on the podcast, which is a great thing to do if you find that we talk too fast. We do. We're sorry. A, a lot of content. B, we just all talk fast. We're doing our best. Uh, but if you listen to the podcast, you can really listen to things. So that can be found at greenmajority.ca. Those are all the interruptions and delays. Dave, you're in. Yes. <clears throat> So we're going to talk about urine, feces, plastic, Hawaii, mining, Bolsonaro, and Trump. And the trivia today, today will be guessing which ones of those things are related to which other things are related <laughs> to that list. Yeah. It's going to be a good game. Yes. Okay. So, urine. The Journal of Environmental Chemical Engineering published a report in October about a new kind of waterless urinal developed at the University of Cape Town that harvests the urine's nutrients for fertilizer. The authorities are calling it the world's first fertilizer-producing urinal and are claiming that a thousand of these can produce a profit of $85 a day. The urinals do not have to be hooked up to existing plumbing, making it cheaper to collect the pee and avoiding the blockages associated with other kinds of waterless urinals. They are also fitted with removable containers that hold a chemical that facilitates calcium phosphate development, recycling the urine's nutrients at source, and creating around 11 grams of fertilizer per kilogram of urine. Now, the remaining liquid that is not going into the fertilizer is being used to make the world's first urine-based bricks, which are perfectly structurally sound bricks grown from the urine with sand and bacteria. These bricks do not need to be fired in high-temperature, carbon-intensive kilns and create nitrogen and potassium as byproducts, which can also be used in fertilizers. The process mixes sand with bacteria that produce the enzyme urease, which, when added to the urine, congeals and cements the mixture into the shape of its mold. The process is likened to the natural way that seashells and coral are formed. A similar synthetic and more energy-intensive method had been previously tested in the United States, but this marks the first time that actual human urine has been used to make bricks, with the concomitant implications for upcycling and waste reduction. <clears throat> the bricks do stink of ammonia for 48 hours, but pose no health risk uh, to the, due to the high acidity level of the process. 
Dr. Dylan Randall of the University of Cape Town, one of the authors of the Fertilizer-Producing fertilizer Urinal Study, and one of the professors who supervised the BioBrick experiments, stated, quote, If a client wanted a brick stronger than a 40% limestone brick, you would allow the bacteria to make the solid stronger by growing it for longer. The longer you allow the little bacteria to make the cement, the stronger the product is going to be. We can optimize that process. Rebecca, Rebecca Radcliffe, writing for The Guardian, states, quote, By volume, urine, produ urine, urine accounts for less than 1% of domestic wastewater, but it contains 80% of the nitrogen, 56% of the phosphorus, and 63% and of the potassium found in wastewater. AllAfrica.com states, quote, Some 97% of the phosphorus present in the urine can be converted into calcium phosphate, the key ingredient in fertilizers that underpin commercial farming worldwide. This is significant because the world's natural phosphate reserves are running dry. Randall also stated, quote, In this example, you take something that is considered a waste and make multiple products from it. You can use the same process for any waste stream. The students Suzanne Lambert and Vuketa Makari, who have been working on the bricks, stated respectively, quote, I see so much potential for the process's application in the real world, and I can't wait for when the world is ready for it. And, quote, Working on this project has been an eye-opening experience. Given the progress made in the research here at UCT, creating a truly sustainable construction material is now a possibility. Thank you very much. I feel like whenever we get stories like this, I always end up on, on like two minds. Uh, one of them specifically, consistently being just, why are we, why aren't we doing enough for me to feel like this is, you know? Like, this is obviously a relatively <laughs> advanced... It's a beautiful thing, Seven. Just accept its excellence. Well, uh, and I'm not saying it's not great. What I'm saying is that, like, this seems like the much harder part of solving some of our problems. You know, like, so, like cleaning up the oceans and, you know, putting a price on carbon are things we've been able to do forever. Mm. Making urine into bricks <laughs> is, like, so far beyond where I feel like we, like... Like so, it, it, that is a an incredible amount of, of scientific research and, and and work to do, and, and it is great. Like it is good that we have a a way to start looking towards more sustainable building materials, uh, if only because of the fact that you know the number of currently unsustainable business materials that we're losing is is high. You know, like how, what are we to do when we run out of sand is an important question, and if the answer is apparently urine, then I guess we're getting then that's then we have an answer at least better than previously not having an answer. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it still does feel like we're solving, like, like they say the world is ready for it. There is a level of this that is solving a problem that is, that is, you know, decades out compared to this problems we're choosing not to solve that are 12 years out. Mm. Um, but at the same time, like it, but it is a, it is good that we are moving in that direction, right? Well, it is good that we are finding ways to do this in some capacity. It, it makes me think of, um, that this would be an excellent technology that the aliens who come and salvage our ruined planet like 200 years from now are going to be like, oh, great, we could totally use this. Yeah, it turns out they've got tons of phosphorus under that giant dead million-year-old used-to-be-a-lake thing over there. Yeah, it turns out that's all phosphorus. Huh, look at that. And they left us all the blueprints. Yeah. A bunch of dumbasses. Yeah. I would point out that they also include one line here that is, like, I feel like every news story about the environment has one line that is should be distressing, but they gloss over. Mm. Uh, in this line that says, the world, this is significant because the world's natural phosphate reserves are running dry just like just throw that in there that we're running out of phosphate um well 
Yeah, it's, 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 it should be noted that each one of these stories seems to always have one other thing we're running out of. Mm. Try and uh, find something in your medicine cabinet that doesn't have the word phosphate on the ingredients. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's, it's, there's a lot of phosphate in this world. But we well, should get on to, we should move on from urine to feces, I think. Yes, we are constructing stuff in the yellow brick road. Oh, wow. Uh, towards the uh, witch's castle, after which we will... Um, Unmask the wizard. How how long? How did you? How when did you think of that joke? Like, did you think like um, three days ago and you've been waiting? This morning. It was this morning. Wow. Okay. okay, okay. <laughs> Up all night. <laughs> After a long night of, of brainstorming. Yeah. <laughs> the yellow brick road. All right. Sorry. The feces. So, the feces. So uh, tiny pieces of plastic have been discovered in human feces for the first time, <clears throat> leading researchers to hypothesize that microplastics could be spread throughout the human food chain. Some microplastics are manufactured for cosmetics like exfoliating scrubs, uh, while others are shed from items like packaging and carpeting when washing synthetic fabrics or are created when larger pieces of litter are broken down in the environment, particularly in the oceans. While more research is needed, the authors are tentatively estimating that, quote, more than 50% of the world population might might have microplastics in their stools. Lead researcher Philip Schwabel said, quote, This is the first study of its kind and confirms what we have long suspected, that plastics ultimately reach the human gut. Of particular concern is what this means to us and especially patients with gastrointestinal diseases. He also said, quote, The smallest microplastic particles are capable of entering the bloodstream, the lymphatic system, and may even reach the liver. Microplastics have already, be found, have already been found in over 114 aquatic species, as well as birds, tap water, bottled water, beer, table salt, insects, and soft drinks. On the topic of plastic pollution, The Guardian reports that, quote, a million plastic bottles are bought around the world every minute, and the number is expected to jump another 20% by 2021. There is also an average of 8 million tons of plastic waste entering the oceans every year. The study was too limited to reveal the origins of the plastics and their risks to human health. The National Geographic quotes ecologist Chelsea Rockman of the University of Toronto as stating, quote, I'd say microplastics in poop are not surprising. For me, it shows we are eating our waste. I feel like we should, par- we should have a, a part of the show where we, where we cover um, things that would kill us if climate change didn't exist. You know, like these other things that that are deeply important, like plastic, the, the amount of plastics in our water and oceans is is terrifying. And and you get each time you got a study of this type of thing of like uh, it's permeating a little bit more, you know, like a couple of years ago, there was it was plastics in, in fish and uh, in, in plastic. And of course, they, of course, like as anyone who sort of has done any uh, biology before, they understand this bioaccumulation concept of 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 something that comes in. The more something is in is in the ecosystem, the more it becomes in people's diets, and that it accumulates the the further up the food chain you get. Mm-hmm. I and, thought bioaccumulation had to do though with it not leaving the body. Well, it is both being in your body and then not leaving your body. Yes, but also but that it's not clear that microplastics don't leave the body because Stefan, they've been found in human stools. Right, but but the idea is that the the bigger the the, the bigger the predator is, the more plastics you're eating because it's been consumed by more and more things. Mm. So you're you're okay. you're, you're okay. consuming more of the thing because it's 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 slowly growing in, up the food chain. Mm. Um, but yeah, so, and, and this is like, and so it is not surprising that we are now eating plastics. Um, that or or, or that that is now sort of moving the way through. Um, it is. 
it is good that maybe we're doing something uh, about it. It was our next story might will get us get us there. But mm-hmm. it is, you know, I think it's like I think the question here often or what often happens whenever you get to these parts of plastic plastics is like, well, what can we do about it? It's so it's so convenient and etc. Mm. Uh, but good news, everyone. There is a jurisdiction that is actually doing something about some of the plastics. Not all my pl- all plastics, but some. Yes. Uh, tell us about that, Dave. The European Parliament is in resounding support, Stefan, of a wide-reaching plastics reduction directive that would see all plastic straws, disposable plates, and cutlery and cotton swabs banned by 2021 <clears throat> and ensure that by 2025, 90% of all plastic bottles end up recycled. The document states, quote, The initiative should be seen in the broader context of the transition to a circular economy. It will support innovative solutions for new business models, multi-use alternatives, and alternative single-use products. This systemic change and material substitution will also promote bio-based alternatives and an innovative bio-economy, bringing new opportunities for businesses and improving consumer convenience. Further, in particular related to beverage bottles, the initiative will have a direct positive impact on collection rates, the quality of the collected material, and subsequent recycling, offering opportunities for recycling businesses and the increase of recycled content into products. Tackling marine litter creates economic opportunities. The circular economy boosts the competitiveness of our businesses by contributing to the creation of a resource-efficient, decarbonized economy and jobs to sustain it. Innovation in product design to avoid plastic litter and microplastics, but also investments into marine litter prevention, for example in waste and wastewater treatment, in port reception facilities or recycling of fishing nets, and into sustainable alternative materials, products and business models can create jobs as well as strengthen technical and scientific skills and industry competitiveness in areas of growing global interest. Um, I will just uh, repeat the directive would see all plastic straws, disposable plates, and cutlery and cotton swabs banned in Europe by 2021 and ensure that by 2025, 90% of all plastic bottles end up recycled. If they hold a vote this month in the European Council, the law could be in place by the end of the year. All right. Well, that is at least... It is rare that there seems to be a policy that does seem to line up with reality. Um, and, and while I'm sure that this, this particular uh, initiative will have, will have its detractors and will have its problems and will have what, everything else, I think it's important to start forcing this innovation this way, in this direction. Like, I think it's important to start being like, okay, what does a world without this much plastic look like? Uh, and, and often the argument for it is, is, is all these reasons why we started using it for all these things. But unless you start actually forcing people to, to try to learn a new, another way or to do something another way, we're going to keep doing the easiest thing, um, which obviously is single-use plastics. And, and so it is, it's, it's, it's in some ways nice to sort of see this, this the shift towards – because that's what I was always said. To, make, to, get to, to get to a circular economy type situation, you really do need some type of regulations to, to sort of begin to force that, that cir- closed loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you do need governments to start uh, requiring businesses to deal with their own waste or, or at least creating a robust marketplace for, for recycling. You know, uh, I don't think people fully understand 
the economics of recycling. You know, there has to be someone who wants to buy the recycling or it doesn't or it loses money. Like and you have to make sure that this recycling is done well or, again, it loses money. And, and so you're trying and trying and trying to create this this loop. But you have to be able you have to provide a business opportunity for the people who are picking it up. And, and, and I've seen even in, in my daily life um, where, where I work, we one of the things we were doing for quite some time was recycling coffee cups. And then the place that was buying the coffee cups stopped buying the coffee cups. Uh, because it, it was it, because they were they were not making money on that process anymore, and so like unless you start creating these 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 regulations that force some more circularity to these economies, we're going to keep doing whatever. Yeah. So no, we're <clears throat> we're time for break here, and I just really wanted to sneak something in on this point because we're we're going to change topics when we get back. Uh, Lauren, Lauren will be joining us here after the break, uh, but just really quickly on that one um, about a year ago, I interviewed <clears throat> the person at the time who was responsible for Toronto's recycling system to confirm my earlier suspicions that yes, when they add a new thing to the recycling system, and I'm sure this is the same for an municipal recycling system near you, it is not because they suddenly developed new technology to recycle styrofoam. It's because they found a customer to buy styrofoam. That is how that system works, and that's how you need to think about it. The second thing, and I promise this is not a diatribe very quickly, <laughs> is because uh, I could make it one, but well, I won't. Well, that's very um, kind of you. Is the, uh, just, <laughs> no, just to hammer on that point you were just doing as well, which is that so often when we talk about any regulation to limit behavior and the damage of behavior that will happen if we don't limit it, the counterargument is a single word, or it's a single word preceded by the, which is the economy. And... That's why on this show repeatedly, and I actually advocate other people do this for a very particular purpose, is when somebody says that to you when, about anything having to do with the environment, you say, so you're for slavery. Now, that's an obviously silly and ludicrous thing to say. The reason to say that is because it's not that simple. And so when they say, well, hey, you're, that's not fair because obviously it's more nuanced than that, you go, right, and so is what you're saying. You have to get them to concede that the economy, quote unquote, is not an argument. <laughs> because it isn't. And it means that they're glossing over all the details where all of these important understandings actually happen. And so to create the opportunity for that conversation, give it a try. Accuse them jokingly of being for slavery to force the conversation to be actually happen in an area where nuance and details and facts actually matter. Uh, that is my PSA on that point uh, for this week. We're going to go to break right now. We're going to come back with Lauren. Creators create and let the creator be judged. I mean, too many mistakes to be grudging. Besides, all of us lost without love. Maybe some never can walk. We are back and we are now joined by our correspondent, Lauren, who's going to jump in on us. Uh, Lauren, I believe Dave actually has a couple of options for you. You get to choose where to start. So I'm going to throw you over to Dave. Oh, okay. Well, good morning, Lauren. <laughs> good morning, Dave. <laughs> Would you like to start with the tech mine or Donald Trump? Um, Let's start with tech. All right, here we go. So, public hearings have now closed for the proposed $20 billion megamine in northern Alberta, which now enters a stage of closing statements. The joint review panel, composed of the Alberta Energy Regulator and the Canadian Environment, Environmental Assessment Agency, has just under 200 working days to submit a report to the Federal Minister of Environment and Climate Change. Environment Canada has argued that the mine, being so close to a bison range, proposes a high mortality risk for bison and migratory birds, such as the whooping crane. They also emphasized the inadequacy of current bird deterrent systems that are failing to prevent migratory species from nesting at active mining sites. 
The Athabascan Chipwin First Nation condemned the government's inadequate environmental standards during the hearings, with Chief Alan Adams stating, quote, The federal and provincial governments are the only ones who can regulate or legislate environmental policy. They keep getting recommendations from panels like this one that they ignore. While all groups that are considered indigenous stakeholders in this case have signed agreements with the company proposing the mine, groups like Greenpeace argue that communities are forced to compromise since regulators have yet to reject a single oil sands application. The mine, owned by Tech and called Frontier, has a planned lifespan of 41 years and will greatly expand tar sands exploitation. Business news group JW Energy reports, quote, Jihad Traya, an oil and gas analyst for Solomon Associates, said it makes sense for Tech to get the Frontier project into the regulatory queue now. Once the Trudeau government's new Impact Assessment Act replaces the current CEAA, getting projects through the new federal review process could be even more difficult. And at the provincial level, as part of its climate action strategy, the Alberta government has capped emissions from the oil sands at 100 million tons. Oil sands emissions already stand at about 70 million tons, and the Canadian Energy Research Research Institute estimates new oil sands projects could reach the 100 million ton cap by 2030. Trya said, quote, once they're in the hopper, they are now one of those projects that can fall under that CO2 cap. Man, so we've got, because uh, we really, really switched, uh, switched from good news to, uh, to less good <laughs> news pretty quickly there, right? Well, it's Canadian news. Okay. <laughs> All Canadian news is bad news these days. Uh, the, what I find bri- very briefly, the thing I will consistently be confused by, I guess is what I'll say, um, is is how often the is, is is how a regulator has to at some point say no to something before I believe it is a regulator. Like I I, I do like I, I I think you have to earn your chops as a regulator, uh, and and so if you if you literally have never not accepted something, then then what are you doing? Uh, That's like, twenty five grand in uh, psych, uh, f- uh, psychology, or well, like training. you're like you're a moderator maybe at best, but you're still like it's it, 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 to me there has to be you have to have said no to something. Someone must have proposed something that was so unreasonable that you would said no to. Every project is just so immaculate, Stefan. Well, and, and that's the thing I have a hard time, that's what I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to send this to Lauren. Well, Lauren, what are your thoughts? Um, I believe, if, 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 my mind serves, if my memory serves me properly, the only project I can remember that an energy regulator in Canada has ever nicked was the Mackenzie Valley Pipeline back in the early 90s, I believe. Um, and I think that might have been because it came down to a single judge. Like, I think it was like the kind of thing where it was like, I, I don't know if like, I think like maybe a panel made a decision and then it was appealed and then it might have gone to a judge. And I think a judge ruled in favor of the indigenous groups in opposition to it. That's the only time I can ever think of sort of like as a result of like, like a regulatory body shutting down yeah, um, I think- a tar sands project. And I think if I might be totally off on that. Um, if any if any listeners are listening to me right now, being like Lauren, you're totally wrong. Please let me know. Yeah, I, I, there um, was a non tar sands related uh, one in the Arctic that I think about a year and a half ago was shut down, uh, or at oh, least okay. it yeah. was stopped. Okay. But that was not tar sands related, so that's a that does not fall under the thing you just said. No, yeah. So like that's the thing. Like these these things have been shut down, but I guess I guess it's just it's the idea that I think to. <laughs> I, 
yeah, I don't know if these regulatory bodies just think of themselves as something completely different than what than what we're expecting. It's like they they don't think of themselves as necessarily a gatekeeper canceling projects. They're they're liter- they're they're just there to offer tweaks. You know what I mean? Like they're so so maybe we need to entirely rethink what kind of regulatory bodies we need and what we're looking for out of them because they're 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 not there to shut anything down and that's not sort of their prerogative but um but anyway that's sort of not even what the conversation's about um <laughs> just really yeah. quickly on that it is reminding it's reminding me a lot i'm back in school as i keep mentioning and uh it keeps reminding me of a ta which is like someone whose job it is to help you succeed right <laughs> they're going to coach you through the process to help you succeed uh-huh. yeah. uh, as opposed to like i'm here to you know, grade your test very aggressively to make sure that, you know, the, the seal of your, uh, uh, of your, uh, the degree that you're getting is worthwhile is a, no, no, my job here is to, is to get you through this process. Right. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's a really good analogy actually. Yeah. These regulatory bodies are, are the TAs of the extraction world. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So this pipeline, and I know, and I'm sure listeners again are going to be like, "Weren't we just having this conversation like two weeks ago?" Yes, we were, and we're probably going to continue to have it over and over again because this project is just bananas. Like it's it's nuts. It's a twenty billion dollar project. It's two hundred ninety two square kilometers, which, like, I guess, like to kind of give reference, the best thing I could come up with is that that's almost exactly half the square kilometer. Like, yeah, it's almost half the size of Toronto. Not necessarily including like Mississauga or anything like that, but like 292 square kilometers is about half the size of Toronto. And this is like a single open pit mine um, that's proposed. It's going to be the largest ever. Um, and when it when it starts up, kind of eventually getting going in 2026, uh, they're reckoning it'll have a, it'll be pumping at about 86,000 barrels of bitumen a day, and it won't reach its full scale until 10 years later, until 2036. Um, when it's going to be putting out 260,000 barrels a day. Um, and, and I just, it, it blows my mind. Yeah, so uh, you were talking about sort of Alberta's self-imposed cap of 100 megatons. Um, and right now, yeah, they're at about 77. Uh, Pembina put out numbers that said um, it'll be, it'll bump up to 131 if projects currently under construction um, sort of see the light of day and then actually like reach reach production. Um, and then once you add in Tech Frontier and, and other projects that are seeking approval, that bumps it up to 167 megatons. So like it, Alberta can't can't possibly reach this self-imposed target or, or stay underneath the self-imposed cap of 100 megatons. Um, and and it's just really frustrating. Like I, I was listening to an interview with McKenna, I think on the House, the it might have been last week. It might have even been the week before um, when the IPCC report was released. And um, the journalist who was interviewing her, like at one point, she's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're on board to meet our Paris targets, blah, blah, blah. And they mentioned they didn't mention tech, but they mentioned they might have mentioned Kinder Morgan or, or, or some other sort of project that people were pushing. And they're like, are you sure, like Minister McKenna? And she's like, oh, yes, definitely. Um, we're on track. We have a plan. It's the conservatives that don't have a plan. And it's and and, and I appreciate sort of the the that effort that journalist made like a little bit to hold her to account, but I'm really uh, upset that this specific project isn't coming up in, in conversation more when, when like, okay, like, yeah, Kinder Morgan has kind of been put to bed. We're, we're fairly certain it's not going to be built, but it's like, this is, this is another one that has complete power to completely decimate the targets that we're already not really on board to meet and those targets that already are going to push us past 1.5. So it's, yeah, it upsets me that this one isn't coming up more in conversation um, at this point. Yeah, it's, it's, it feels like one of those things that sort of gets hidden because of where it is, 
right? Mm. You know, it's not it's not going through major cities. It's not. It, it's a sort of ends up being like you know it's somewhere in Alberta, but like not you know. And I think that sort of allows it to sort of fade into the background a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I want to tie it to to one other story that 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 broke this week because uh, I think it's important, uh, which is that the uh, no, it's about the Alberta regulator, uh, which. Um, which again, we just harping on regulators, but they came out. Uh, they came out in a. They, there was released recently some private documents from 2018. Um, that was a, a presentation by a senior Alberta energy regulator official, where he estimates that the province's fossil fuel industry has a 260 billion dollar liability. Um, and and that's a liability that would be that would be largely that's largely on the burden of 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 the taxpayers of Alberta. Um, with a with a with a with a particular note there that you know that that these are that that this is well 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 under the original estimation um, or well so well over the, the the amount of money that we currently expected to be liable for it was much 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 lower I think it was something like I think it's an extra two hundred billion dollars higher than than what was previously stated uh, I think the first number was fifty seven point eight billion um, and and yet and yet and, and and a huge part of that is from the mining industry. You know, right now, right now, the the mining the the mining in is, is they've collected twenty seven billion dollars of, of 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 liability. They've estimated this new regular estimated that it's hundred and thirty billion dollars of liability actually actually exists there, which means that if these if this if this if this mine closes down or the mines in Alberta close down, you're looking at a hundred billion dollar ta- uh, cost on the on the Alberta taxpayer. And and so this is this is the like this is what you mean when it's a big project doesn't just mean a lot of carbon emissions it means a lot of distilled le- disturbed land it means a lot of there's a whole other side of this that is that needs to be it needs to be sort of you know they always say they'll clean it up but the percentages are <laughs> have been proven to be terrible you know like I think it's like I think Pembina a couple of years ago had like one percent of land had been reclaimed or something like that mm-hmm. uh, and, and and so and so it's quite important like it's it's not just the carbon here it is the it's 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 the entire thing and in the minute that the carbon economy busts all of this liability will fall down on alberta and it's not yeah. like they're building themselves a nest egg no no that's the thing it's 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 another what this one was 20 yeah it's another 20 billion added to that carbon bubble that we know is going to burst because economists have told us it's going to burst the same way the housing market totally collapsed in in 2008 and and yeah it, alberta it, they didn't follow what was it the the Netherlands or, or Norway's sort of behest when yeah. Norway's like, hey, you guys need to put away money for a rainy day. And Alberta's like, no, we're good. Thanks so much for the tip, though. Yeah, And, long, and they haven't done that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like low taxes instead. Everyone gets free stuff. Exactly. Cheaper beer, you guys. <laughs> so, no, so like that's the thing. When this when this bubble does burst sometime in the next couple decades, it's going to decimate that economy. And, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's like I don't want to seem harsh and be like, and then they're going to come crying to the rest of Canada because that's 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 not sort of the attitude I want to hold here, but like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they're thinking. Well, yeah. no, I do know what they're thinking. It's, it's short-term gain right now. It's money in pockets right now, yeah. which is what works for a four-year election cycle. Or a, or a quarterly business cycle, right? Like we, or, yes, it's as if we've decided so. that everything should be decided in incredibly short-term timelines. And if you're not making money in the next quarter, you're fired. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's exactly it. So just uh, really quickly before we go to uh, break here, uh, Lauren, one of the things I like about teching uh, well, is uh, that I get to do a little napkin math. People go, people will say things, then I'm like, <laughs> oh, I wonder what that actually is. So I looked up. I called up the Google map of Toronto. 
uh, and you're welcome to do this at home too and follow along if you'd like. Uh, so someone correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but a uh, square kilometers is like the total. So that's like both sides, right? So 292 uh, square kilometers should be approximately 17.8 ish uh, kilometers on on all sides of a square. Uh, which would mean that if you're looking at your map of Toronto, one of the four sides of the size of this tech mine goes from the East Mall in Mississauga all the way to Evergreen Brickworks. <laughs> and uh, that's one of four sides wow. of the square. So I'm actually going to put that up somehow on the website. But I think it would be really useful and really illustrative if you actually look at that. You can pick any two points, that just for, for our listeners in Toronto. Uh, but find somewhere that's 18 kilometers apart and then draw a square and see how much of your living area uh, would be uh, probably probably smushed if you're not in Toronto by the size of this mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because because Stefan made such a good point. This this mine is for for so many Canadians, obviously not for folks living in Alberta, but like for so many Canadians, it's it's in the middle of nowhere. It means nothing to them. Uh 292 kilometers in in the middle of northern Alberta is it's it's so distant and so far away from our everyday lives that it's it it means virtually nothing. Um so yeah, having having a concrete way to sort of visualize that and, and experience that in your own space, I think is is important for us to sort of realize the gravity of the situation when it comes to this mine. Yeah, and we so commonly just forget the. I think that was some of the stuff about I know years ago when 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 people actually did sort of either fly over the fly over the um, the the tar sands or or walk to, walk through it, uh, experience the sort of the the monumental size of it. Uh, and, and and that I think that is very similar. I think actually to to, to bring back to our first sec segment uh, of the, you know the great garbage patch that's in the in the ocean. You don't really understand how big this is like until uh -huh. until you spend a day trying to sail through the garbage patch and it never ends. Um, or or you spend you know you spend hours flying over these mines um, and 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 look at these the, the machines that they have for digging things that look like like post apocalyptic war machines. Um, and, and it's, this, it's, is a truly, it, it, it I think it does a, it, it is a, it is a call to action. I think a little bit when you sort of see this, the scale at which, at which, because I, I think it puts the breast, uh, this idea that, that, oh, we're just humans. We can't really that affect the globe. And it's like, no, no, we can look <laughs> like mm -hmm. here's, you know, here's eight, 17, 18 square kilometers, uh, of a, of a, of a, of a space. That's how much we can do with one mine. And, 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 exactly. Um, well, thing is, so, uh, we're running out of time, though, Lauren. So, do you have any last thoughts on this before we go to break? Um, no, I guess it's just the idea that, that, like, if you do take the time to like, like, figure out what seventeen kilometers in in your own space looks like, uh, yeah, I, I hope it does work to galvanize people and get people going because it's like this is this is act like this is damage at the hands of humans, and and we made the mess. We can clean it up. It's not like this is a natural disaster that we don't have any control over. It's like these problems seem completely, I don't know, massive on a scale that we can't comprehend. But like we put it there and we can take it away and we still have time to fix it as long as people, I don't know, put their boots on the ground and actually get going. So. Try not, try not to, try not to be too bummed out today, listeners. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> we have, we have bricks that can be made of pee now. It's all okay. Everything's fine. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, uh, Saren. What's the, what's the music break? And they don't care about us, and we know we're below, but we don't want what we haven't got. 
what a lovely song. I really like that singer. Um, that I can't excellent. remember her name, but yeah, Young Galaxy is really good. Uh, so that was a bit of a peaceful break. Uh, there was a line in there right at the beginning of something about they don't care about us that I sort of snicker that. But off topic, back to the news. Uh, I'm sure you were terrifying us with something, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want? S- well, I guess it depends what kind of terrifying we're looking at. Let's, let's go. Let's go to Hawaii Island terrifying. Okay. Yeah. So an ecologically significant Hawaiian island has been completely destroyed by Hurricane Walaka, which hit the region in October. The hurricane was a Category Five and represented one of the strongest storms to ever hit the area which I think is the third or, third or fourth time I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the like, island... Like the third or fourth time you're saying it in like the last like, three weeks. Yeah, the strongest storms ever to hit the area. The island, which was a half mile long and 400 feet wide, was apparently a haven for the endangered green sea turtle and Hawaiian monk seal. Dr. Chip Fletcher of the University of Hawaii opines that rapid sea level rise is to blame the speed of which means that islands cannot adapt to that change, leaving them vulnerable to big storms. Scientists had just begun researching the island's prospects in the face of climate change in July, and now, in a matter of months, the thousand-year-old island has been wiped off the map. Fletcher stated, quote, We wanted to monitor the island, so we are disappointed it has gone, but on the other hand, we have learned that these islands are far more at risk than we thought. I thought the island would be around for a decade or two longer, but it's far more fragile than I appreciated. The top, middle, and bottom of it has gone. <laughs> Five islands in the Pacific drowned under rising sea levels in 2016, and eight Micronesian islands disappeared in 2017. Randy Kosaki, a senior official for the Hawaii Monument of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, stated, quote, the take-home message is climate change is real, and it's happening now. I... It's not often that you you bring a part a story that 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 makes me just like my mouth open and like mm. a, just like where I stare agape uh, at at the notes that you've you, you've prepared, but I think the fact that the, the 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 way this man sort of stated the idea is like oh yeah it's a bummer that it's gone but it taught us that more I, that islands are really fragile that's like that is a level of coming to terms with the destruction of people's lands that I just really kind of hoped I would not have to experience. Um, and not that this guy is a bad person. He clearly is a scientist who expected this to occur, you know, given that they said, I thought it would last for another decade or two longer, um, is a fundamentally concerning position to have. Um, and, and, and then the, in the note about how many islands we've lost already is, is, is even further, uh, an ex- Exploration of that of 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 that concern, mm. um, and and to flash back to a to a to a story that that we covered last week about how about how Trump is planning on uh, is is basically at this point having people expect to four degrees warming. Mm-hmm. Um, that that fact is 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 basically saying many more of these islands will go. Right. Like that's it is a it is a very bureaucratic way to signal that you're giving up on these islands. You know, it's a very it's a way to it's a it's a it's a very concerning way to sort of hide in the the level of destruction. Well, if the Trump administration administration is planning for, for uh, four degrees Celsius of global warming, they're also planning for the death of um, many of their largest uh, coastal cities. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, 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 at this point, I think they've given up on Florida. You know, um, uh, but and, so, and that is and that is a part of this, right? Like that is that is this whole that is there's a whole thing that is going on here with that. Like you can bureaucratically have papers saying, "Oh yeah, four degrees warming," and and then and then you can and that can sort of 
exist in your brain as one side knowledge. But I think it's very rare that they would then articulate that to being, okay, this is what we lose at that point. You know, like here are the island nations that will no longer exist. Here is the here is the the the, the coastal cities that we are now that are now greatly at risk. Um, and I feel like that I feel like the you know the the hidden deep in the transportation document saying it's for yourself is worth expecting is c- contrasted with this with with this fact is uh, with the with the sort of overall destruction of that world is is, is I think how bureaucracy hides violence. Mm. Uh, is I guess is the way to articulate it. You know, the is how these sort of generic, boring articles uh, that are in that are deep within the you know the 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 transportation department of the United States um, are even themselves a a a call or or, a, or an allowance of future violence and future mm-hmm. pain, and future misery on a, on a wide threat of not just you know like like it's not this is not a us in them scenario when it, you, with, with four degrees of government. that is a global everyone is impacted you know you're that is that is both losing you know actual parts of the united states as well as you know truly devastating a lot of pacific island nations and, and at four degrees it's 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 chaos yeah well manhattan might drown but i got some cars to sell stuff yeah exactly also one of those micronesian islands that uh, is gone was in fact fun fact the site of a famous battle between two uh, rival micronesian kingdoms back in the day and and now it's just gone. Now it's gone. Do uh, you just mention the Trump thing? Do you want me to go over that quickly, or do you uh, want to skip sh- over that? Uh, let's skip over that. I feel like I want to. I want to. I want to highlight, reiterate, right. reiterate it, reiterate it, and then jump into Bolsonaro. So yes, yeah, so what Stefan was talking about was that buried deep in environmental impact statement by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, which is an arm of the Trump administration, which was released in August. Um, states specifically that they believe that global temperatures will rise inevitably by four degrees Celsius by uh, 2100. Uh, they use this to defend the rolling back of their fossil fuel efficiency standards on the grounds that the impact of those standards would be negligible uh, given the inevitability of uh, global warming. Um, and the, uh, uh, the, it stated specifically um, that fighting global warming would require substantial increases in technology innovation and adoption uh, require the economy and the vehicle fleet to move away from the use of fossil fuels, which is not currently technologically or economically feasible. Um, and they, the conservatives have defended this course, calling it uh, more reasonable, and uh, that Obama's initiatives were merely symbolic and frivolous because they would not have done much to alter global emissions. Um, and so these denialists have now become explicitly defeatists and decided that the more reasonable course is to make the problem much worse. Yeah. Uh, speaking of making the problem much worse, uh, we have some uh, relatively bad news—not relatively, a- actively and definitely bad news—out uh, of out of Brazil. Mm. Um, and some intriguing um, particular um, suggestions for Canadian uh, democratic politics as well. Yes, we will. Uh, we'll explore that in a second. But what are we talking about, Dave? The um, uh, Brazil's so Brazil's new president, Jair Bolsonaro campaigned on a promise to combine the environment ministry with agriculture, with control going to the agribusiness lobby. He has withdrawn his statement that Brazil would pull out of the Paris Agreement, but some of his political allies have challenged the science of global warming, and he has vowed to further development, develop the Amazon and take more land from indigenous communities by opening up reserves to mining. Uh, Regarding the election of Bolsonaro, the CBC published an article outlining the ways in which it could be good for Canadian business, stating that Bolsonaro's victory gives him, quote, a convincing mandate to radically alter politics in Latin America's most populous country. 
the only publicly owned national media outlet in Canada, therefore the CBC, while noting the grave environmental and human rights concerns, uh, appears to many to be hereby implicitly celebrating the election of a violent bigot on the grounds that it could bring huge Canadian mining companies higher profits. The article reads, quote, Canadian companies in mining, agriculture, and infrastructure could see new opportunities if Paolo Guedes, uh, Bolsonaro's chief economic advisor, is given full control over investment policy. The article ends by stating, quote, For mining and resource firms, Bolsonaro has pledged to make it easier for major extraction projects to be approved. Toronto-based Bello Sun Mining Corp., for example, has been embroiled in a long-running licensing fight over a major gold mining project in the Amazon after Brazilian regulators said the company hadn't properly consulted with local indigenous communities. This is the kind of dispute where Bolsonaro has said he favors economic growth over environmental protection. With nearly 60% of the world's public mining companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, losses for the Amazon rainforest under Bolsonaro could spell big gains for Canadian investors. Chris Arsenault, the author of the article, has been vigorously defending himself, on the CB, uh, himself and the CBC on Twitter, appearing to argue that he intended the piece to highlight the problem of placing profits over people. But the problem with the article is not that it mentions the profits that Canadian companies could make in Brazil due to Bolsonaro's election. It's that it does not mention the complicity of Canadian capitalist bought comforts in the atrocities globally wrought by those companies and violent leaders like Bolsonaro. Arsenault said, quote, The purpose of the report is that markets are amoral. And yet, not only does the article make no mention of this amorality, in terms of climate change and in many cases human rights, the problem goes beyond the moral issue and into a question of global stability. Certain critics uh, liken the article to quasi-fascist corporate propaganda, whereas the author refers to it as business news. Naomi Klein defended the piece on Twitter, calling it uncomfortably honest about the profit motive. It does not, however, mention the profit motive, but says several times that Bolsonaro's election could be, quote, good for Canada. So I, I want to point out that it is fully possible for something to both be quasi-fascist corporate propaganda and business news. Mm. I would argue that often one in the same. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if anyone... I'm going to go further. Find me an example where it's not. I'll wait. <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, like, I, I'm sure as anyone who's experienced the business news whenever it comes to talking about pipelines in Canada have probably experienced a relatively similar type of glossing over atrocities in, with the question of how much money will this make us. Mm. Um, and, but I, I think the... What's interesting about this note is, or this 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 article, which then led to this sort of this this backlash, is that it it fundamentally highlights one thing that we as Canadians almost never talk about, and we as Torontonians probably talk about perhaps even less, which is that Toronto is the cap mining capital of the world. You know, more more mining companies go through the TSX than I believe any other uh, any other stock exchange, mm -hmm. um, and and that we as Canadians. Um, ha are 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 flush with 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 money coming in from this resource extractive industry, uh, you know so much so that the you know that things all over the place are named after 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 mining barons uh, who committed atrocities, and and this sort of smoothing over of like well like well like like the monk debates, oh. um, you know like we have we have you know we have. The, you know, you have these, these golden mining companies that have committed true atrocities that are now naming things all over the place. Um, and, and I think that fact needs to be highlighted in the same way that we've previously talked a bunch about how 
uh, about how you know the fashion that you wear uh, is you're, you're bringing on a certain amount of you know there's a certain level of uh, of human suffering that's gone into most fashion that you're wearing, and that is a you know an argument to to try to improve your fashion. I, I think that we as Torontonians and, and Canadians at large need to understand the le- the the level of destruction that is that is, that does come from the companies that are operating out of the TSX. Uh, you know, it is why whenever there's protests about mining companies, like they, they come to Toronto, and 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 that this idea that that quote good for Canada. Um, is 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 synonymous with with destruction of parts of the world, is a damning uh, 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 criticism of Canada. You know, like the idea that like far like it, the framing of if 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 we get to trample more rights around the world, uh, that is that would means an investment boon for Canadians. That should concern us as Canadians. Like that's that that is a that is a criticism in my mind. It should be seen as a criticism in my mind of our current system. You know, like it's it, there's there's not if that's the way this is working, and if that's the if you can write an article that is that is that is true. You know, that is like that more money might be coming into Canada because because of this election. Then that should not be seen as a as a positive thing about the election, but rather a negative thing about Canada. Right, like you can flip this conversation on its head and and, and and ask yourself, what does it mean that we as Canada, who think ourselves as so nice, as so kind, as so everything, that we are the that the largest the largest place where for resource extractive industries, especially mining industries, uh, around the world, and 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 maybe that should impact how we see ourselves. Um, you know we're nice within our own borders, but you get you find us in you find us in in the, in the Amazon, uh, and and we are chopping down half the Amazon forest for for mining companies. Although I will say the Amazon forest is much more likely to go down because of beef production, um, and other places probably the mining is going to happen. But like these are these are all interlinked. Mm. And I've discovered now why it is that can't people come to Canada for gold. Yeah, because we are. Just, this is where because digging right under the Amazon. Toronto is the mining capital of the world, as dictated by uh, corporate heads and offices. Yeah, and it has been for thirty years, and and, and it comes in part from a, our history of, of of exploiting our own land. Like you know, we grew these industries exploiting our own, uh, exploiting exploiting the land that that we call quote unquote Canada. You know, often even in those scenarios, still trampling on indigenous rights, and, and then the profit motive expanded our our vision to other places and other people's land where we can continue that process. Um, and 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 that I, the fact that that all that money does flow back into Toronto, uh, in in the city, I think should needs to be a central part of. I think like. I think it's interesting to watch a culture wake up to some pieces and not other pieces of so, of the of the of the ongoing you know horror show that is our capitalist system right now, right. Um, and 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 yet, and then an article like this comes out, which is, which like which is it, it, the way it is framed implies, like it lends I guess the cre- the credibility of good for Canada to this this man who's you know quite outwardly outwardly righted out outwardly f- stated some truly horrific things um as if that good for Canada is a positive spin on him rather than a damning uh reaction to to who we are as as canadians and and where we are, where our wealth comes from specifically um and and so that's a, if we're running out of time, but if there's a thing to if there's a thing to to leave uh, our, our show with today, I think we'd be asking ourselves that question. You know, where does our wealth come from? 
Um, and and look, looking into that a little bit, you find it turns out it's often you know eighteen kilometer square square kilometer mines in in northern Alberta, uh, and similar mines uh, in 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 Brazil, uh, and all of them coming at the expense of the local communities who live there uh, currently. Uh, and and at some point, this whole system is going to collapse in a carbon bubble, and we are going to be on the hook for apparently $260 billion in Alberta alone. We're, we're out of time, but I just want to sneak one thing in. Just to level up what you were saying again, like, you know what else would uh, be good for Canada's economy is if the U.S. had gotten into, or still gets into in the future, nuclear war with North Korea. As long as none of the bombs drop here, that would be good for Canada's economy. You know what's good for Canada's GP, GDP? When there's an oil spill, because GDP is a measure of money spent. And so oil spills make our economy look good. If anyone is you're talking to, this is getting back to what I was saying about that potentially controversial, but I'll stand by it comment I said about slavery earlier, which is that if that's the metric you're using to to assess these things, then you're not seated at the adult table. You're seated at the kids table and we don't have to take you seriously because your comments are irrelevant and they have nothing to do with reality. These are not arguments. And when you see adults making them, they're probably trying to trick you because they absolutely know better. Uh, so that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much uh, for all the hard uh, work on the research there, Dave, and, and for all your time t- today, Stefan, as well as uh, Lauren. And most importantly, you, the listener. Reminder, fall membership drive starting Monday, November the 12th. We should have several hundred dollars in quarters by now. It's been an hour. Uh, you can start collecting those loonies and we'll see you all real soon. Take care.